pound per 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 pound per per pound six ninety nine per pound pound ninety nine per pound ninety nine per pound hey yo it's six ninety nine per pound podcast what is happening welcome to another episode of six ninety nine per pound live with J Key and I'm here with Michael Mr Michael Ken Stewart. Yo, yo, yo. Real quick. Let's check in real quick. Who's watching us right now? Who are some people here that's tuning in? We have about seven people. Is it seven deep? Is or is it about to be ten deep? But yo, whoever, whoever that's holding it down, joining us right now, we appreciate you. We love you. You're the reason why we keep doing this podcast. You know what I mean? Um, so today we have a very special guest, as you might have noticed. We have this gentleman with an NPR hat. Uh, hopefully that hat could turn into the $6.99 per pound hat in the future. Uh, this gentleman, he's my big bro. Why, uh, uh, you know, call him a young. That's like an endearing way of saying an older bro in Korean. Uh, yeah, this is just some Korean situation, you know. Michael, if you feel left out, it's all good. Uh, Mr. Donnie Kwok, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. Currently the GM of Complex and a friend of the show. He was actually yep. our uh, inaugural guest for uh, 699. That's right. Uh, back into the foundation. Donnie Kwok, I uh, want to introduce yourself a little bit more. No, I'm just that I'm happy to be here and uh, I'm happy to get talking about whatever we're going to talk about today. The fact that BTS just beat WAP. Mm, BTS has defeated WAP with dynamite. That whole that sentence itself just sounds kind of wow, you know? Dynamite I mean, defeated wow. I should preface this by saying that this is according to Danny Chung. I don't know if it's an actual fact that BTS beat WAP. But I, 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 no, just, I, I, look, I looked it up. It's, I, it's yeah, real. It, it's, it's, real, it's, real. it's a real thing. Yeah, so <laughs> Billboard, Billboard 100, top, top 100. Yep. BTS beat WAP. What a headline! You know what I mean? BTS. <laughs> is that some like Korean, Korean pride or something? How are you feeling? No, man. Just, I, I, I feel no pride whatsoever about BTS. You know? Okay. I don't know. Just, just phrase <laughs> itself is like a whole lot of acronyms. BTS beat WAP. You know, that that sounds like something that would belong in a different type of website. You know what I mean? Did you, did uh, you guys watch yeah, the, yo, uh, the VMA? OPP. Nah, nah. Did you? I did not. Uh, I did. Okay. Like I consumed much entertainment. I just scrolled the timeline and saw that BTS performed on the VMAs mm-hmm. and people were sharing it. I'm assuming they performed Dynamite. I don't know mm-hmm. for sure, but I mean, I mean, that makes sense. How does Dynamite go? Do you guys know? Nah, I haven't even listened to it yet. Michael, have you listened to it? I don't. I don't listen to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't listen to BTS, so <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, if it came out yesterday or whenever it came out, I don't know. So, but yeah, this. Uh, I mean, good for them, though. You know. Yeah, only over a hundred million people have seen the video, Michael. Okay. <laughs> Michael's not with the times, you know? So, right. uh, yeah. So with that said, though, uh, please shout out. Uh, please, why did I say please shout out? But shout out to all the viewers, you know what I mean, for tuning yes. in right now. How many viewers do we have right now at the very exact moment? We have eight people tuning in, yeah. including Shanwise. Much love to Shanwise. Any army out there or what? Shanwise is probably army. Shanwise, are you army? 
worship and praise. Oh, she called WAP worship and praise. I, I, might, I might have to stop saying, start saying that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so shout out to everybody. You know, we out here. We got to move. We got to migrate, elevate your mind state. So listen to more 699 per pound. Do you uh, know what the, the, the gangster sect of BTS Army is called? It's Kill is Army. It? Oh, Kill my Army. God. Is this... Oh, wow. Hip-hop so dad bad. jokes over there. Wow. <laughs> Kill <laughs> Army. All right, oh, all right, yeah. sorry. Let's get to the let's right. get to so, the Michael, Michael, talk to us. What do we what what do the listeners need to know? The listeners need to keep dropping their reactions, uh, questions in the chat. We haven't guessed today, right? So keep dropping them. You can ask Donnie some questions. He'll decide if he wants to engage you or not. Um, <laughs> also, subscribe to uh, six ninety nine on Twitch, right? Um, you can. Give us Jeff Bezos' money because for Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch subscription. So give mm-hmm. gifts us a subscribe. Or if you want to sub us just because you think the content is righteous, feel free to do that while well, Jakey wipes his camera. Um, but wow. then also, if you want to clip a scene, 30-second scene from this exact live stream, you can go down to the clapperboard on the bottom right corner. Um, and and then it will be saved onto our site so then other people can enjoy it too. Nice. So keep engaging. Keep engaging. Get the engagement cracking. So, yes, yeah, speaking of engagement cracking, Whoa. we do need to get Segway. some. Uh, uh, so for the, uh, <laughs> uh, for the most liked tweet of all time is unfortunately uh, wow. of the news <laughs> nah, man, chill, chill, chill. It's unfortunately right. of the news that a uh, uh, actor, uh, famously known for uh, Black Panther, for playing Black Han- Black Panther, Mr. Chadwick Boseman, has uh, has passed away. Unfortunately, right? Was it was it over the weekend on Friday, Michael? Uh, I think it was Friday. Friday. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Yeah. So I mean, what did you guys think about that? Uh, you know, I, I wasn't really actually. I interviewed him uh, when I used to work for Double XL when he was prepping for the role for uh, Forty Two, uh, where he played Jackie Robinson, right? And um, yeah, like he he was like a yoga pre- practitioner. Like I remember him and I talking about specifically <laughs> about that, and that uh, and yeah, I mean, he went off to become a, a you know international sensation with with the Black Panther. Uh, you know, did you? you know young like donnie like obviously I'm, I'm assuming this was a hot topic at complex uh amongst the staff and just a hot news topic as well like what was some of the uh reaction or thoughts comments op-eds i'm sure a lot of that information flew through you yeah i mean what's there to say it was uh was it friday evening that the news broke friday or saturday yeah yeah, yeah. so i think um, in some ways, similar to the news of Kobe, it, it really just came out of the blue and was shocking. Uh, a person, you know, in his forties, uh, that seemed the beacon of health that you wouldn't expect to die, obviously different circumstances, but even more so than Kobe, uh, I think this particular death because of the circumstances, because of him being a superhero uh, in a movie and also the fact that he had cancer and mm. still continued to make films uh, with, with nobody knowing that he was sick 
or deteriorating, I think, made it even more emotional and sad. So it really actually hit me. Uh, and people that were with me on that Friday night, it hit me pretty hard also because we're the same age, which is, um, right. you know, for me personally, I was like, it kind of, uh, you know, hit me differently. But um, yeah, of course, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's sad. And it's kind of also one of these very rare occasions where a celebrity or somebody passes and it's just universally, it's something that we can all agree on. It seems that it's a, an utter tragedy and there's no kind of ambiguity or anything about the fact that him dying at that age of colon cancer is just an unspeakable tragedy. And, and, and in some small way, it, strange to say, it kind of like in a divisive time, it's something that's like uh, something that unites us because all, all of us kind of paying homage to his legacy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all I can say is tremendously sad, and and, I, and at every at not just our media company, but every media outlet, uh, it, it sent ripple effects, you know, because it was so shocking. It came at a shocking time, and the way I imagine it was passed on to me is how I imagine it spread across the country, which is through texts and Twitter, and oh my right. God, you believe this, and and that's why it reminded me of Kobe because when Kobe passed, it was I think a Sunday or a Saturday, it was like a weekend, obviously not in COVID, but it was the same thing where you just start getting text about it and you just really can't believe it. Right, 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 right. Michael, how, you know, were you a fan of uh, uh, Black Panther, the movie? And uh, were you following uh, Mr. Chadwick Boseman's work? Um, I wasn't following it too closely, but I mean, I, I saw him in 42. I saw him in uh, Black Panther. And just I was thinking about like as Donnie said, how he made those, like, I don't know how many films he made, like six or a long list of films in his four years since he was diagnosed. And I've had family members go through cancer and Mm. unfortunately pass away from cancer. Right. So I've seen how crippling it can be. And you look back at the videos of him speaking. I think one was at Howard about purpose in life and like finding it and going after it. And then, when he did some, like, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel or Fallon yeah, or one yeah, of them. Was, and, like, yeah, people were coming Fallon. up and, like, speaking to the poster and just understanding the effect he had um, t- for people is is in that loss and that weight. Um, and on top of, like, 2020 and, like, all this stuff happening is just, I think, a lot for people to handle. And it's, you know, it hits you. And I remember, like, my, my roommate was next to me and he's like, oh, Chadwick Boseman passed away. I was like, what? I was like, okay, like, don't lie to me. Like, right. Like it was like the Kobe right, situation. Right, like someone was like, right. Kobe died. I was like, no, they didn't. Or like, right. what the hell is that? So that was, that was a crazy thing. And he was just like super talented um, and a kind person. Um, and you hate those to see those types of people uh, pass away. And those, those little yeah, yeah. kids he inspired. So, I mean, at, if anything, he inspired a, ne- a new generation of black actors um or just just black people to just live out a dr- like live mm-hmm. out their dreams and reach for something higher and that's i think when i think about anyone's legacy it's like when you leave this earth it's like what other type of legacy would you would you want to leave like inspiring other people to be great is is, is a really is pretty high up there mm, mm, mm. now nah, all, all good points man i mean uh yeah i think i think it hit me the same way i don't think you, there's anything else for me to say uh, I do feel like, yo, man, why can't why can't some of these uh, great black heroes live 
long lives, you know? Right. Uh, also, fortunate. Also today, shout out to, or not shout out, but rest in peace, uh, John Thompson too, of uh, mm. coach at Georgia or Georgetown, who really like, if we talk about Allen Iverson too, like really was a father figure to Allen Iverson and a lot of other people. Um, just, you know, it's just yeah, sad to see people in Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Morning, yeah. like me coming from DMV area. Uh, John Thompson was larger than life mm. and uh, an icon, icon of DC sports. And also went on to, you know, a prolific broadcasting career. His son or one of his sons was, uh, ended up being the coach at Georgetown afterwards as well. So, yeah, I mean, put his statue up now. I mean, like he, he's, another legend of course he was 78 so yeah. right 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 but still yeah a tragedy as well mm, exactly. rest in peace to both legends to both kings but uh since you mentioned dc you know what i mean oh another smooth transition smooth operator operating well, we'll, we'll see yeah. and we'll, we'll see what the segue is go ahead yeah you know I mean? <laughs> right, now we're about to talk about the dnc versus the rnc <laughs> you, know what I mean? um, you know dc politics man i know i know we're gonna be talking good. about some politics today because uh uh the topic that donnie Hong wants to bring to the table is about a documentary specifically about politics but uh yeah i mean um let's talk about the dnc versus the rnc man i mean um i definitely saw the democratic national convention and the show was whack you know what I mean? I must just say it. Say it straight <laughs> uh, the Republican National Convention was actually more entertaining for me because, yo, Melania, yo, like, yeah, she just, she's, you know, like just watching her just felt like a little bit more. It just, you know, when I'm looking at these um, conventions, I'm, I'm trying to see some shit happen. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to see like shit get stirred up. You know what I mean? Some energy. <laughs> You know, okay. Uh, it's just political circus for me, you know. But um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know how you guys feel about it. You guys have have you guys seen both uh, the RNC and the DNC? Like, do you guys feel like uh, the re the Republicans are going to stay dominant, or do you feel like the energy from the Democrats this time around is going to come through uh, and and kind of crush the competition? What are your thoughts? I don't know. Shaking his head, so. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I don't live for the political circus. I think that's terrible for civic engagement and discussion. Uh, and all the, all the, all the like rose garden stuff and the politicking, um, naturalizing people, even like, and and the DNC is like, we need to beat Trump. We need to beat Trump. And that was like their only message. I was like, tell me about the actual things you care about. I don't like. For me, beating Trump is irrelevant if you have things that speak to people in different ways. So that whole circus for me, like I'm, I'm a wait. I'm okay. Um, I saw the DNC more than the RNC, but that's all I got, really. <laughs> mm, mm. Mr. Quack, thoughts on the DNC versus the RNC? Yeah, I'm actually. I'm, I would say I'm the reverse of Michael in that I watched more of the RNC than the DNC. Um, mm. Yeah, man. I would say, you know, if you take out the political aspect of it, which is hard to do, but if you do and just kind of on its face, compare them as week, week long uh, content offerings, I guess, you have to say that the RNC provided better content. It was more entertaining and sort of more, you know, politics aside, again, it's hard to unpack that, but um, 
you know, from what I saw of the DNC, again, mostly just through recaps and clips and stuff, uh, you know, the whole AOC, uh, Bernie Sanders thing, and um, Biden's speech, etc. cetera, uh, the RNC just provided more grist for the mill in terms of kind of uh, uh, entertainment, whether, and again, the purpose of the political conventions is not to entertain, right? It's to present a nominee for the party. Uh, but you know, we live in a society now where it's like everything is content and to be entertained is to be engaged. And that's ultimately what everybody who creates content wants is an engaged audience. And I have to say, uh, you know, watching Ivanka and, and Donald Trump, they were entertaining, especially against the backdrop of like 50 American flags and, and uh, yeah, you know, a, a live crowd that was not social distancing. Um, <laughs> And also, you know, to be honest, just like the, the Trump speech, I think watching it, having watched his, for example, his inaugural inauguration speech and different speeches over the years, you can tell that the repetition or the reps that he's gotten as uh, a politician or as a statesman, he's improved in the way he delivers his words. Yeah. Okay. I'm not voting for Trump for the record, but I thought there was some entertaining moments in the RNC and it created a lot more conversation than the DNC did. And that's kind of just the challenge right now with the Democrats having a, such an unexciting uh, nominee. Yeah, right. Totally. 1000%. I agree with that. Yo, when that lady came out and like by the beach in Maine and started singing with like a guitar, I was like, yo, this shit is a rap, man. That, that's <laughs> DNC. Right? Yeah, even when the, even when the, even that, when the like, yeah, this is, this is, this is done. Even when the couple, the St. Louis couple that were pointing guns at protesters did their little sit down bit, that was compelling too. Even though, you know, what they were saying be total nonsense, but they, the, the RNC was packaged in a way to make it kind of compelling uh, and sort of trolly click, you know, I mean, I guess maybe that's the, the, the this, this campaign's kind of uh, MO, but yeah, it worked. Yeah, that's what they're great at. And I feel like the DNC kind of overestimates or they kind of put themselves in kind of like this high horse. Like, yeah, like we're going to we're better than them. You know what I mean? They they kind of feel like they they kind of over uh, they need to they need to get with the program. They need to understand who is watching these political uh, debates and these uh you know who 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 their voter base is you know what i'm saying like i think yeah. um, people that knows people already know okay like if you're going to be if you're a democrat they already know okay like we're not going to vote for trump but what else man you know policy That's, yeah maybe, exactly. but, but if policy was was really something that is going to engage people then yeah you know why doesn't c-span get more ratings than fox news you know what i mean but c-span doesn't but fox news does and there's a there's a reason for that so I, I definitely yeah. feel like, uh, uh, you know, there needs to be more uh, understanding of engaging the audience. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. I, I think, yeah, I think the Democrats do a, a terrible job at actually connecting their policies to ordinary Americans that are not in coastal cities. And that's yep. been an issue for the last like eight years, um, and they still haven't figured it out. Eight. And as you said, like for a long, or, I don't know, forever. <laughs> well, I mean, in the recent, I say eight years is a recent, right? Whatever. Um, right. And you know, it's a, it's an effect of that. So you know, 
when are they going to fix it? I don't know. Um, maybe they, when they get off their high horse about like being the moral in this like smarter party or something. I don't know. Right. But I'm not wait for AOC. Yeah, I think AOC speaks more. I mean, it's interesting because there's Bernie, but I think yeah, Bernie miss, misses a lot of people because of the way his campaign and his people tried to engage people of color, and I think you know AOC does a lot better job at that. So we'll see when that when that happens. But you know, and her 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 story is definitely a lot more compelling too. You know what I mean? Especially for this current generation. You know? Yeah, and it's also kind of you know when you're trying to knock off the incumbent which the democrats are now you gotta it, trump did this great in his first campaign it's like this insurgent energy where it's like um the change that you're gonna bring or like the, the base that you're gonna appeal to and like your policies are gonna be radically different and this and that and, and when yeah. you have such an unexciting candidate it's really difficult to build that momentum or that energy because Biden is just a career politician. I mean, let's admit it. He's not an exciting person, <laughs> you know? So uh, yeah. right. I, I sympathize with the, the Biden campaign because it seems <laughs> like they're really just their goal until November is to avoid any calamitous misstep uh, more so yeah. than uh, any kind of proactive forward movement. Right. Um, yeah. So they're kind of like on eggshells because he's already made a lot of missteps. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. To I mean, especially, yeah, totally. So, yeah, I mean, so we'll see what happens, man. I mean, I think, I think if Joe decides to be uh, instead of president, presidential candidate Joe, uh, you know, but but instead he just becomes Uncle Biden, you know what I mean, or Uncle Joe. I feel like his energy is going to be different. You know what I mean? I mean, my man's been around union members. He's been around the mob. You know what I mean? So I'm sure, like, if he really wanted to get down and dirty with Trump, yeah, man. Like he would be saying some wild shit if he wanted to, but right. hopefully we could see that Joe during the debates. But uh, <laughs> I mean, before we get to the debates, we got to talk about voting. And uh, NBA is on strike now, coming back, on strike. Uh, demanding uh, the stadiums used as polling stations. Uh, you know, so so is is this a similar demand for ML, uh, WNBA, MLB, MLS as well, or is this just the NBA for now? This was specifically the demands put on by the NBA Players Union, uh, led by Chris Paul and who's I forgot who else was, but but apparently, right? LeBron has a big influence in all this, and apparently, you know, he's mm. very interested and in, invested in polling places, and I mean, rightfully so. That is one way of civically engaging. Um, you know, I think it was interesting how the media called it a boycott, not a strike. Mm. Uh, because when you look at someone like deliberately not coming out in the court, um, I guess boycott is easy, but if you talk about NBA players or WNBA players or MLB, anyone that's withholding your labor, which is what a strike is. Uh, it's called the wildcat strike. Uh, so, um, props for them for doing it. Uh, I, I mean, personally, coming from a labor school and a labor background, I was like, just, just leave the bubble in mass and just, and wow. do it, but, you the, know, the Kyrie, um, the Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, like these owners don't care. They just want their money at the end of the day. So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of back, I know there's a lot of backroom deals going on and I'm the youngest one here. So you'll probably counter with some like, you, you know, you're too, you're too righteous or whatever, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I mean, 
I mean, this is a start. So, I mean, hopefully, I don't know the other two points. The other point was like promote civic engagement through advertising space, which is super vague. Um, I don't know how that's going to do that. And then a league established a social justice commission. It sounds like another, you know, when you're in like a university and they give you like, oh, you can have a student government, but the student government doesn't have like any say in anything. You just can like be like, we want you to acknowledge us and they're like okay cool thanks right, um that's right, what it seems right. like to me but so you don't think this polling station thing is like worth it like you think it's no just i like the, like i like the polling station thing because it's the most direct like it makes sense like people are right. trying to you know, it could it could you know increasing polling stations is always a good idea for me but the other things are a little vague um mm. and again i just want to point out WNBA, WNBA has been speaking out about Black Lives Matter and all this stuff way before, and people have just like not played, um, and people have supported them, and then you know, damn, and WNBA players get paid way less than actual NBA players. Yeah, exactly. So Maya Maya Moore, who's one of the best WNBA players, actually sat out an entire season, um, right, in, in protest of a of a person that was. Uh, locked up that didn't deserve to be there. So, mm. yeah. See, wow, impressive. So, I mean, um, you know, Donnie Hung, um, you know, you've been a sports advocate, and you was a, you know, you worked. Uh, so I was also in the NBA. I, pl- I played in the NBA. You were also as well. in the NBA. You know what I mean? You <laughs> before I the stand. practice uh, team yeah. <laughs> uh, for the Washington Bullets. Yeah, um, I like that. I like but, that call. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I, I got a quick question. So, uh, so how you know for for those of us that okay, so Michael is saying like, yo, like why don't these guys just um just leave, like just 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 take a big strike, like union situation, just yo, like we're all gonna just stop playing games. So for NBA players though, like is it you know correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard like if a player misses a game, do they not get paid for those specific games? Are they like on hourly wages, or is it like? Like a, a year-long retainer is like, yeah, like LeBron, you get a hundred mil, and you're gonna get this hundred mil regardless of, you know, whether you sit out for half a season or not. I mean, I, I shit, I don't really know, but I mean, if you I actually get, know probably no more than that. If you go on <laughs> strike, you're not gonna get paid. That's for sure. Um, I mean, in terms of, I think, I mean. In salaries, right, there's guarantee money, and then there's uh, other money that's tied up in incentives, which are bonuses based on performance. So I imagine an NBA, like, a player might be like, if you average more than 15 points a game, yada, yada, assists, like, you might get an extra bonus. And then also another thing would be if, you're win- if your team makes past the first round, second round, third round, win the championship, you get more money. Um, so... I would imagine that's what they're giving up in terms of money, uh, right? But if, you mean you're saying if they were to walk out of the bubble? Yeah, if you're looking strictly at monetarily. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, to be honest, I, I don't know if you read this story. I believe it was on Yahoo, but the, the day after the strike, or it might have been the day of, <clears throat> the players collectively met in the bubble along with the president of the NBA Players Association, a woman by the name of Michelle... I forgot her last name, unfortunately. But anyway, as they were deliberating about whether or not to continue the season or to maybe walk out of the bubble or whatever decision that they were going to make, <laughs> Jakey, the loudest eater. <laughs> Yo, dude. 
Back back to the point. Back I'm glad you point. didn't do that when we were talking about Chadwick Boseman. But anyway, yeah. so uh, the president of the NBA PA, uh, so, you know, a source that was in the bubble, likely a player, recounted this, that she was reading to the players the ramifications, the monetary ramifications, were they to continue striking? And then at that point, an NBA player, you may know by the name of Patrick Beverly, allegedly interrupted her. She tried to continue, and then he interrupted her again and allegedly said, I pay your salary, trying to shut her down. At which point, Chris Paul and another player stepped in and said, Pat Bev, shut the fuck up. Can I curse? Shut the hell up. I don't know if they they literally said that, but they essentially shut him down. And so all that to say is there were salary ramifications for continuing not to play. Uh, Right. And but I, not to say that they decided to continue playing because of that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, clearly they were they stood to lose money were they not to continue playing. Right. But isn't Beverly uh, like a younger younger cat? And I feel like Paul's like a statesman in that sense. Like when I hear that story, it's like of course that the NBA is going to bring someone in to read them their like lo- what they lose because that's definitely a strike breaking well, tactic. And then Beverly's like. Just shut up. Like, we don't need to hear this. Well, to be, to be clear, we're not talking about the NBA. It's the NBA PA, which is the right, right. association, which Chris Paul is the president of. And this yeah, woman, yeah. I guess, is the, I don't know her title. Oh, she's part of the PA too? She is. Oh, um, okay. All right. So whatever I said was. Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the NBA PA. I should pay her due respect yeah. to get her name right. Michelle Roberts. So Michelle yeah. Roberts. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, they're playing again, and it's like, you know, Marcus Morris flagrant fouled Luka Doncic last night, and that's all anyone's talking about now. So, oh yeah, damn, <laughs> yeah, I didn't step on his foot. Yeah, no, but did you see the game yesterday? There was like a Marcus Morris got ejected for a flagrant foul, uh, not the stepping on ankle thing. Oh, that was a different. Okay, mm. damn. See, this yeah. is the thing. It's like you know the game, and this kind of speaks to the point of not playing forces the conversation on what we're talking about and these issues. When you resume right. playing as they did, I mean, maybe you guys aren't as looped in into the sports uh, cycle or the news cycle, but now people are talking already about the games again. It's like the game right, 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 right. conversation. Right. So the one lever that they can pull is not playing. Mm, and, yeah. and to Michael's mm. point, I mean, I, I think there is, whenever you have a, a, a walkout or a strike or whatever you want to call it and, and don't really have, specific prescriptive demands it can seem like it's vague i i agree with that uh but i think it also served its purpose and it is a a moment in history where the nba players said you know what and all these other leagues even the fucking nhl hockey followed (laughs) and i'm a huge hockey fan you know Uh, yeah you got hockey players like you know down with bln that's that's what's up i got alex a lot of here there's a there's a big yeah I mean I think that that speaks to like one empowered act can um, inspire other ones um, but um, Jason Kim is tuning in and he said voting yeah, is yeah, yeah. At, is that most mildly related to the demands of BLM so I guess he's saying that whatever the NBA PA is trying to go for doesn't match um, the BLM movement also he says that 
Jakey, your munching is mad loud, so you should mute yourself. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Wise said um, that they read that players get paid biweekly and aren't allowed to get paid at once. So I don't know yeah, if that's any or, new news to people, but nah, yeah. nah. I mean, um, yeah. Thank you for. Yeah, I, I, I was just a question real quick. Yeah, yes, yes. That players get paid biweekly. Just imagine what like a LeBron James direct deposit looks like. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's some serious mm-hmm. cash. Make it buy all of saying? our lives. Yeah. yeah right? Theoretically, yeah, theoretically. I mean it I mean, could definitely... every penny, but just saying, it's like yeah. it's kind of funny to hear NBA players. I mean, why wouldn't they get paid bi weekly? That's all Americans do essentially and yeah, yeah, yeah. Jobs, right. but it's just kind of funny that they get paid bi-weekly and so do we. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like you know, is it, is it like a direct deposit or is it through PayPal? Is it through Venmo? Like does LeBron have to send an invoice himself? Like, you know, well, you know what's funny? I don't uh, want to get too sidebar here, but yeah, yeah. it's funny in America because I'm also a big soccer fan, football fan, world football, soccer, right? In soccer. Yeah. Too, yeah okay. Like, yeah. So, in world soccer reporting in Europe, they always talk about or compute salaries by weekly pay. Mm-hmm. Whereas in America, we always talk about yearly contracts. Yeah. And I don't yeah, know. So, we- like, so like, you know, when they send a report like, uh, I don't know, like, let's say Messi, like, it's not like, yo, his salary for the year is 100 mil is like his salary no, for the year go by, is like what he pays, gets paid every week. Yeah, so for for an example, what? Arsenal Football Club, which is my favorite team, right? They have a player called Mesut Ozil. And mm-hmm. Mesut Ozil, a couple of years ago, signed a very, very lucrative deal, which pays him £350,000 per week. And so that £350,000 per week figure has been used as the stick to beat him with because people think he's overpaid. Oh. The question I pose to you guys is: Does it sound more outlandish if we knew how much LeBron made per week, as opposed to us knowing he makes what is it like twenty five million per year? I, I don't know what his salary is. Let me look up LeBron James' salary. I feel like that's. I'm. I'm just. I'm gonna bring it farther out to like CEOs in general because thirty seven point four. Right. I think I like. I like how Europe does it. It's more relatable to the normal person, right? If I if I hear like yeah, right as you said, like LeBron makes twenty five mil a year. It's like. Thirty-seven million a year, yeah, or whatever number it is. Like that's unimaginable to me. Like a normal person that gets like a bi-weekly, like twice a month paycheck. But if you break it down per month or per year or week, that's how a lot of us think in terms of how much money is coming in a direct deposit. How much do I have money to pay rent? Like all that stuff. And I think I like that better because then I'm like, oh, the CEO gets paid. The CEO of Yahoo. I don't know Yahoo. Yahoo, but like we were, or no, uh, these uh, Jamie Diamond, let's say, like let's say Jamie yeah. Diamond from uh, Morgan, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Yeah, exactly. So, like, if we see his salary and that's astronomical, and I, I can't even fathom that, but yeah, if I paid, realize uh, that Jamie six hundred k a week. Yeah. So if I knew that, I'd be like, damn, this man is making that much money over me. I would, as like someone that works at J.P., might feel a type of way about it. Um, so I think it's very strategic that they do that now that I think about it. You think it's strategic mm-hmm. on whose part? On American media or? On the um, CEOs? Like people with CEOs, power? CEOs, yeah. Yeah, people with power. That's, yeah. Like if we start, because 
anytime you know like I don't, you know donnie or jake you probably saw this like on instagram if someone anytime anyone breaks down like how much money like even like the otani deal was yeah everyone like shares it wildly and is like oh wow this is crazy i never thought of it that way like mm. and that like the fact that that's so rare like speaks to what i just said i think so i mean I the, thing about people, people, the thing about people in power is like i think people believe there's conspiracies going on but i think people in power are in positions to take advantage of everything that's in front of them. So it just seems like they can just move so quickly. Uh, right. So it's like, Oh, that benefits me. So I'm not going to like say anything about it. Right. So this is like one of those things. And I yeah, think if I mean, media started doing that, I don't know. Yeah. Once you get into a position of power, Michael, you know, we'll see if you are going to be manipulative. You know what I mean? But I got uh, a good heart. Sounds like pocket watch to me. <laughs> so do I. You know what I mean? Uh, we all got a good heart. You know what I mean? LeBron so, makes uh, yeah. 600K per week after taxes, right? Or <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm probably gonna, not. Gonna, I mean, that's before taxes. You know but uh, yeah, so I mean, since we're talking about what everybody is making, and uh, uh, let's, uh, let's get back. Let's get back into the essence. You know what I mean? We live in a capitalistic society, and in a capitalistic society, JK prevails with his weekly pocket watch segment. You heard? All right, y'all. So for so this week's pocket watch, I'm gonna be talking about Gap. Uh, so before I start talking about Gap, uh, I just like to also break down the fact that Gap, aside from the brand and as a company, as a holding company, is home to Old Navy, uh, Banana Republic, obviously Gap, but also uh, Athleta, uh, this uh, activewear brand that kind of um, uh, rivals against Lululemon. And uh, I know, I know, uh, Mr. Kwak Young, he was an employee of Banana Republic at one point in his life. Tell us a little bit about that. What was that like? Uh, about being at work at Banana Republic. <laughs> Yeah, working for <laughs> Banana Republic, man. What, what was that like? I mean, was Banana Republic like cool when you was working there? Was it kind of like a cool brand? Because right now the uh, image of Banana Republic is like, that's kind of nah. like what, you know, young working female professionals, like that's kind of like what they have to buy to, you know, to go to work. You know what I'm saying? It's like office yeah. wear almost, right? I mean, you know, funny, funny enough, it dawned on me too not too long ago that it's a little bit of a problematic name, Banana Republic. Oh yeah, totally, completely problematic. <laughs> but uh, completely problematic, man. So is Old Navy, I think. Old Navy just sounds mad problematic too. I'll just All give right, you a, just... a quick download of my uh, retail career. I worked at Banana Republic when I was in school, uh, at NYU uh, on 70th and Columbus on the Upper West Side. Uh, I did everything there: stock, floor, cashier, all that stuff. And then Club Monaco then uh, came and. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. It was in the 90s, I guess. And uh, they opened their flagship store on 21st and 5th. And the, the manager I had at Banana Republic poached, went to Club Monaco and poached all the people he liked, including me. And so I went there. <laughs> uh, Exile, man. Yeah, so my memories of Banana Republic, I mean, it's like khakis and, and I don't know. It's just like a typical sort of, uh, how would you say? It's like a very basic retail store. I mean, I would say, I don't know how the reputation has changed over the years because I, I don't really shop there, but I would say back then it was, you know, Old Navy came along later. Uh, it wasn't even existing when I started at uh, Banana, I don't believe. So 
it was kind of like Gap with the basic basic, and then Banana was just like one step above it. So you know, mm-hmm. uh, the suiting so it was like a more expensive Gap. That was kind of the image. A little bit more refined, you know, where Gap was a little bit just more preppy basics and sweats and mm-hmm. jeans and things like that. Banana had a little bit more, you know, kind of like a a, a grown up kind of feel to it. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. And they also had a bunch of t-shirts yeah. with like Banana Republic and like different problematic images now that I think back on it, but. Ooh, uh, well, like what? Like, 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 like a big ass banana? <laughs> like, or. Yeah. We don't need to go into that. It's yeah, all we don't good. need to go we, into it. It's, it's it dated. Fun. It's all, it's, it's fine. But yeah. I mean, Donnie's had a, Donnie, cause Mikey Fresh is out here dropping like Donnie's resume on a chat right now about like Kim K's first major press look. <laughs> and all this stuff. So you got fans already out here. Um, we don't got to go into all that. Uh, but just yeah, yeah, know yeah. that but, I mean, we, we been could, we around the block. I, I think more important than all of that, though, is I did fold khakis at Banana Republic for a good time. <laughs> you know it was it humble was beginnings. Like it was fun. Working retail is kind of fun when you're young and, and you're just hanging with like the people that you work with. So. Mm. Yeah, totally. You, know, you also get to holla at like, you know, whoever coming in, you know what I mean? Get a little I'll discount situation by the register and all that. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, so I mean, going back to the topic. Uh, so yeah, we, we got a pretty good sense of what Banana Republic is about. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if people are familiar with Gap as much, but uh, I think in the 90s, especially Gap was kind of like a prominent brand that was very also popular amongst uh, uh, young folks as well. Uh, you know, for some reason, like I always envisioned Gap with like a lot of, uh, they had always had like ads with white people that tend to dance mm-hmm. well, like in chinos and hoodies. That was kind of always yeah. like my vision of Gap. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, um, so this whole news is about how Gap, uh, a multi-billion dollar company, just reported 18% loss uh, mm. in their latest second quarter reporting. Now that 18% is including all the companies that are within it. So I think the interesting thing that, okay, Mr. Kwok just, uh, as, as, as JP explains this, the, the numbers, Donnie's gone to the bathroom cause he's, a, he's an older gentleman he needs to, He's an older gentleman, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, so he has to go use the restroom real quick. But uh, while Mr. Kwok is uh, uh, away, uh, let's, let's, ow, oh, oh, Winton just pulled up the imagery from, uh, one of the recent gap campaigns. You see, uh, Aquafina in the back holding oh, it down the solo right. Asian. Oh, actually, no, oh, yeah. she's right next to another Asian lady. She's a, she's a Japanese comedian, I believe. Right. Like, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she is. yeah. She yeah. is. Yeah. So, um, hold on. Yeah. Let's, let's kind of go to the chat real quick. Uh, yeah, let's we have, that. um, Yost just chilling hard to hear the Don Dada. Okay, so Donnie needs to step his mic game up. Uh, Shan Wise, I need to work at Gap. They give 50% employee discounts. I had no idea. I used to work at a Muji, this Japanese uh, uh, retail operation. They would only give out 20% discounts. Um, mm-hmm. Cheap motherfuckers. But uh, we also got Snoopy Love shopping his hog because so many clothes stores close. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. So we were about to get back into that, get back into that topic of what's going on right now. So what about that five finger discount? The five finger discount. Bong, bong. Uh, yeah, yo. So Gap, uh, I'm just going to break down the math real quick because uh, 
it, I just thought that it was really interesting, right? So Gap, their uh, sales went down 28%, but their online grew 75%. Old Navy sale went down 5%, but their online grew 136%. Banana Republic, mm-hmm. their sales went down 52%. So it's like pretty much half the business is gone. And their online mm-hmm. only grew 26%. Athleta, the uh, athletic brand, uh, their sales went up 6%. And their online grew 74 So I, I say all these numbers because I just felt like, yo, it doesn't really take like a mathematician to figure out that people are not shopping for work clothes anymore, right? Which is what Banana Republic offered. Uh, or, shopping, or even shopping for like casual fits. You know, people are just looking for workout clothes and they're looking for cheap mass market clothes. You know what I mean? Because of COVID, everybody's working from home. Uh, the economy is affected. You know, for, for the most part, I feel like a lot of unnecessary things are not being purchased. Um, they're just kind of sticking to essential needs like boxers, uh, athletic wear, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, what, what that? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... With that said, though, uh, what do you guys think about like fast fashion? I mean, right before COVID, uh, were you guys like regularly shopping for clothes? Like, has COVID made you guys kind of cut back on some of your, uh, you know, shopping habits, intakes, or just purchasing just in general? Like, do you guys think that there's going to be a time when we are ever going to need clothes again or shoes as much as we did before COVID? I think it's going to be quicker uh, than people expect. Mm. I mean, people are already still going out. People, I mean, I've seen people out in Midtown, like dressed up to go out. But I would say, I think, I think overall it makes sense because even I was talking to JK. I was talking to Todd, right? And Todd was like, we, "You can't technically allow people to try on clothes in the store and all that. Like, it's just like with all the regulations, it's like, how are you supposed to go shop um, right now? And also, I guess." Fast fashion wise, it's like, why do we need, why do you need that top? You know, that like no one's really seen you. I think people, like, I, I forgot how to dress for a little bit. Um, I know, like, I, I have t shirts. Yeah, I, I can't. So, you know, I think. What pants are you wearing right now? <laughs> I got Reebok uh, trainers on. Um, so, you know, that's about it. So I think we'll see. I think, I don't know, Donnie, like, if you're fits have changed up in in this time but i mean even before that i wasn't i i mean i was a person that's like oh fast fashion's bad for you know the environment and for mm-hmm. just like consumerism in general so i was kind of just like trying to not buy as much fast fashion and more like basics and just be more simple with that but i mean there's a plenty of people out there that still want to look cute look 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 like they look like they want to get chose you know so We'll see. Trolls. Okay. I didn't know if this was Indian matchmaking out here. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but but you know, Kwak Young, like how you know, have your spending habits been? Um, how, how how's that has been? Has that been affected? Like, do you are you just like not spending as much? Or you know, what are your thoughts about like copping gear? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say because I'm like in a demographic now where I'm literally middle-aged person so like my buying habits aren't necessarily it'd be better to talk to like a gen z person because for them i feel like they're still gonna want to 
have the flyest fit on TikTok. Wow, so I'm mad old. <laughs> you mean? Uh, let, me, let me double click on something. I had to go to the bathroom, so I might have missed your whole gap thing. But I think I just read today that part of the uptick was because of masks, that they're selling a lot of masks. Yes, that is true. Mm. So they mm. actually, uh, uh, the company made like $130 million by creating masks. But that's really just in, um, that's just really in sales. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't think that necessarily had an impact in, right. when Did it comes down to like consumer facing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's yeah, just an interesting 30 million though. That's, all, that's not yeah, under 30 yeah. mil, but you know, this is a multi-billion dollar company where they got to like rack up like, you know, like 30 bill a year, you know what I mean? For them to like keep their stocks up, make their investors happy and all that. Yeah. But, uh, I, mean, I think, just, another, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say though, the other thing too is I just looked it up cause I have in my pocket app where you save stories. I don't know if you read this JK or Michael or not, but the New York times, I think it was the magazine actually uh, earlier this month on August 6th had a story, a feature story with the headline sweatpants forever, how the fashion industry collapsed. Mm. Had I read that story, I'd probably have some valuable insight. I saw the story. (laughs) I want to read that. And I saved it. And it's chilling here on ice in my pocket app. So after I read it, Next time I'm on, I'll talk about the fashion industry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Shan Wise, Shan Wise said Fashion Nova and other other like similar online brands had best sales during COVID. So that is true. I mean, so, so here's another question. Here's another question. So Kwak Young, you obviously worked retail, and um, you have already disclosed your age. So you obviously shopped during an era when e-commerce experience wasn't really as prevalent. Uh, Mm -hmm. Michael, you grew up in Seattle where I know there's plenty of malls, you know what I mean? So like that mall experience is definitely something that I didn't really get to have growing up in New York. So, uh, but I, I'm, I want to, I want to know from you guys, like, how do you guys shop? Like, when's the last time you guys shopped in a physical store? Do you guys actually like it? Do you miss it? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's like a necessary thing or is it like, nah, like we, we beyond that at this point? Uh, um yeah go ahead donnie (laughs) let me think about this i was like uh damn uh you know again i'm at the point now where i don't typically something might catch my eye online or you know the last few things i bought literally were just kind of in my neighborhood people selling t-shirts vintage shirts and 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 that kind of thing and i go to alibaba sometimes uh Mm, you're supporting the chinese business some good mm. questionable origin. Uh, yes. But uh, what was the, I was going to say before that, I forget, but yeah. Oh, yo, that's what I was going to say. Uh, in terms of like buying habits and people consuming less, you know, because I work at Complex, you know, obviously I'm close to sneaker coverage because that's kind of part of our bread and butter. And what you've seen in COVID is no slowing down at all in sneakers, a sneaker resale market and sneaker hype. I mean, JK, obviously you would know that better than anyone, but in terms of like those hype releases, like the Ben and Jerry's, the Dior's or whatever sneaker flavor of the week is coming out, it seems like the demand is, and the resale market is more active than ever. That is, that is very true. That is very true. But it's also like those products are very tiny uh, 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 amounts, right? In the right, bigger right. scheme of things, you know what I mean? They like, don't they a day, like, thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, ten thousand pairs out of like 
you know, a million pairs that they're producing is a very tiny uh, fraction of it. But those are usually the ones that gets highlighted and people, are co- uh, uh, you know, they, they kind of right. want. And, um, and I, think, yeah. I think when that $600 extra check was coming in, a lot of, uh, 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 I would say, a little less wise purchases have been made. But uh, that's true. You know, now that six hundred check is done. I, you know, we'll see how people are gonna manage. We'll see how people are gonna manage. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man. So, so that was pretty much like my pocket watch report of the week. You know what yeah. I mean? Talking about right. Gap. Talking about the overall retail climate. Um, I would say though, man, uh, fast fashion is definitely something that kind of um scares me. Um, so there's this a uh, British. Uh, I would say she's kind of like. She's a multi-TV personality, Stacey Dooley. She's a journalist of some sort, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so she has like a show where she just kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a, a tra- not a travel show, but it's kind of like an expose documentary style. So she actually visit. Uh, there's an episode um, where she visits Indonesia to see mm-hmm. uh, this company that produces uh, uh, mass market pl- uh, cl- uh, products for uh, a brand that they can't disclose. And yo, literally the water next to it, yo, even visually, it looks fucking disgusting, man. And um, Mm -hmm. she's like, yo, there's a stench. It's disgusting. And then you see kids jumping into this water, like playing in this water. You know what I mean? And that shit just fucking broke my heart, man. I was like, God damn, like. That's all they know. Damn, like. You you burn all your your friends after that. You know what yeah. I mean? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. But uh, Gap, surprisingly, they are not failing yet. Uh, I don't know if Kanye's announced involvement has anything to do with uh, its stability at the moment. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the pocket watch news of the week. With do that you think said, that if, if Gap did a, a WAP collab, would sell? A what? What would you say what you got? If they made a WAP collab. If who had a WAP collab? <laughs> Gap and Wap. Gap and Wap. Like kind of like collegiate sweatshirt, except it was just Wap. That thing Yo, I mean, to be fair, though, Gap had like all types of, uh, uh, you know, people in their ads. Like he, they had a, uh, they had a future in an ad. LL. Uh, they had, uh, common. LL, of course, you know, famously Common, uh, Missy and uh, Madonna. Um, so, yeah, man, who knows, man? Uh, uh, Cardi B and... Uh, uh, Megan Thee Stallion, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe they might be able to do a little WAP and GAP collab, you know what I mean? That's actually a very funny saying, WAP and GAP. GAP and WAP. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mr. Michael Ken Stewart, uh, you want to tell us a, l- a little bit about yourself this week as well mm-hmm. as you did last week? Tell us a little bit yes. more about yourself. Yes, yes. Uh, before, yes. I start my, before I start my segment, yeah. As Jakey said, you might want to do some research about where your clothes come from. Might change your mind about some certain things. Anyway, back to my segment. Um, so this week, I want to talk about how I actually, for the first two years of undergrad, I went to a community college in outside of Seattle called Bellevue College. And now mm-hmm. it's a four-year because there's a four-year nursing program. But back then, it was community college. Um, a little bit about my backstory. Coming out of high school, I only got into one school I applied to, which was the University of Hawaii which I have family in Hawaii and there's a lot of sun and beaches and I would have loved to go as an 18 year old, but my mom was very against it uh, as a former teacher. Um, She famously told, I know famous to me. She kept telling me that 
her students never brought books to class because their excuse was they couldn't bring them to the beach. So uh, oh. she's like, you're not, you're not going to go there. <laughs> wow. So okay. I ended up not going. Um, Sounds like quite a I was, Yeah. I mean, they got, they got their good programs, you know, um, mm. their uh, marine biology is really good, you know? So not to knock UH, but UH, you know, UH is a cool spot. Uh, yeah. But I uh, ended up going to Bellevue Community College, right? Um, as I watched all my other friends go to four years, University of Washington, um, California schools and all that um, kind of shot to my ego a little bit, but ended up at college, a community college. And I feel like that was actually very informative in terms of something that's very impactful to my life and being able to go there it forced me to really study, obviously, and put in the work, but just meeting different people, I would have not when I was, when I was like 18, 19 at the time, like I was meeting not just 21, 22 year olds, but I was meeting like 35. I met a 35 year old dude that came back from like seven years of fishing out in the Pacific and was like, I want to come back to school and learn. I met like, so he was in one of those veterans. like Alaskan boats, like catching like salmon and shit. Yeah, basically. And he's like, oh, the, wow. the runs are, the runs are drying up. And yeah. So he's trying to come to school, like veterans, single moms, um, just like, and just like people just trying to like, make something better of themselves. Right. Which I think mm -hmm. in a lot of some four-year colleges, you get kids that are just not about that. They're just, I want to party. I just want to do whatever, you know? And a lot of the teachers there, it's like, you're not, it's not glorious. You're not like at a big research university and you're getting like things published and your name's out there. So there's a lot of people that are just there to just teach kids and put in a lot of work in it. You know, that's where I took my first Asian American class. Um, one of my English teachers, gave me the joy of reading again um, and just like gave me new roles to do. So I, I say this because I think a lot of times now when we talk about the cost of college, you know, a lot of people are like looking at new alternatives in terms of what it looks like um, because, you know, four-year private institutions in average um, are like around $35,000, um, which is a lot, right? And then if you look at a CC community college, they're usually around... 3000 a year. Like one so tenth that, of that? Yeah, basically, wow. right? So, crazy. and you can go, you can go to Eaton, and there's like technical schools, right? Too. Like my brother went to a technical school and now he's a certified welder in the, in the state of Washington. So, oh. so there's different routes. And at the end of the day, I ended up going to Cornell after two years. I got my associate degree at Bellevue. Um, and then I ended up getting the same degree as uh, the people that were there for four years paying 60,000, um, at Cornell. Right. So in the terms of like my length, I, was, I thought community college was super good and my just being as a person. So I just want to say like, you know, uh, people should think about like alternatives to college. If, you know, I think it's really great that that's mm -hmm. out there and people are thinking of those things now, but I was just curious if both of y'all, like you're college experience have you like been connected to a cc or technical school or met mm -hmm. people from those places uh i mean i would say i you know i, I kind of started off at a four-year and then i stuck through it uh but i will you know i i didn't think it was I mean, I don't know if my folks, you know, if I, they're they're probably never gonna listen to this, but yeah, I don't think it was really uh, it was really worth it. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, I've gained all my uh, 
experience, like everything that I do for a living right now, I was able to learn from people like Donnie Hung right here. You know, like I, I started interning very early. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of figured out my route. Everything that I'm doing right now, where now that I've done in my 20s, uh, I was able to figure out outside of college. So uh, I think some of the benefits of these more prestigious quote unquote schools is the network that they could provide for you. Like, you know, you could be uh, befriending the son of a senator or like a foreign Saudi, you know, prince's grandkid or something. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of like this package that is presented to you if you go to one of these prestigious schools. But, you know, there might be some kids that could gain those type of access, but most of the kids, they're just there, just like they're being kids. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's even like really in their mind state when they're like going to these schools. So I mean, looking back, uh, I probably could have done something similar to what you've done, Michael, like starting off, save some money, go to a community college, get some grades up and then try to like wrap it up uh, for like that fancy diploma. You know what I mean? Like in the last year, we're in the third year or something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Kwak Young, you also transferred, right? You went to a different school before you went to uh, uh, NYU? Yeah, I did. I just spent a year in Vermont. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, University of Vermont my freshman year and then I transferred to NYU and um, you know everything you're saying Michael definitely resonates because I think there were a lot of students both at Vermont and at NYU who were I wouldn't say necessarily there for the education so but also you know what also resonates is that when I was growing up in DMV area there was uh, a stigma around community college as something that the kids who couldn't get into the school that they wanted to go or were just deadbeats or something like that, that's, they inevitably were just in community college and it was kind of like the uh, consolation prize, I guess, or something, or like the default. Uh, right. So I think the way you're framing it makes sense now and moving forward, and, you know, because I think the, uh, to Jay Key's point, like, how we have viewed these hollowed institutions in the past, I think slowly we might be chipping away at that in, in terms of like what makes a prestigious institution and just the name value. I know that's hard to explain to an Asian family or to Asian parents right. maybe, because they're still going to hold Harvard and Yale and all of those names in the highest regard. Uh, but the reality of it is the education is what you make it. And I think being surrounded by people who are motivated and actually want to learn and are there uh, specifically to learn and to better themselves, I think does make a great learning environment. And, and maybe this is also a consequence now coming out of the new normal. Obviously, things will get back to some semblance of normality in the coming years. But I think people are really realizing, you know, what makes a school a school, you know, because... It's part of it right. is just the IV and the dorm rooms and like all of these kind of uh, things that you associate with higher education as it's not, it's, it's really just the professor and the syllabus and the, and what you, how you apply yourself and everything else yeah. is just kind of bells and whistles, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah, all for it. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. yeah. Cause I, I, I guess, yeah, to that point, like I, cause I ended up in community college out of just circumstance. Right. Cause I just, I had nowhere else to go. And I, I definitely, as Donnie said, I feel like I had that stigma of like, oh, like I failed in high school and I was like doing extracurriculars that I was, I was at parties, I was doing whatever. And like, this is the consequence of those things. But as it wasn't until I got there that I'm like, oh damn, like there's people that are, there are people that are struggling. And I think there were people that were like, I'm like, come on, like 
you need to like get it together. But then there are also people in tough situations, but also people that are really smart that just didn't have any money. Like I met a guy who was, who had like the grades, better grades than I did in high school. And he's like, I just, I got into USC. I just couldn't go. So now he's mm-hmm. here. Right. And he's like working another job, like out of like the, and this is me coming from, I grew up in a rich area. Right. And my dad, my dad grew up working a lot, um, summer jobs and stuff. And, I've always, I always want to get a summer job, but he was, he was adamant of like, you're not going to work and you want to, you're going to like study. I was like, this is weird. So I'm like, well, I go to a community college and I'm watching these kids, like they're going to class. They have another job like down in Kent, which is right. Like 40 minutes away. And they're like doing that and they're struggling everything. I'm like, damn, like I got to like pick it up. Like this isn't, and I think so, that's so what's missing. Yeah, so like it kind if it showed you like reality, is that what you're saying? Exactly. So if like in at mm-hmm. NYU, right? Like a lot of these kids, some kids come down from like Connecticut or like uh uh north like up upstate, right? And they're like kind of from rich families and they're like, "Oh, like it's a party out here." Like like their sense of reality is New York City and I think there is it t- speaks to like the rise of professionalism in America and the values we hold as a country in terms of like who is like who do we turn to for expertise or who do we believe or who do we hold up and like when we and i and i think this speaks to maybe more people thinking of community college and technical schools as an option is like okay now we're valuing maybe those things again like ordinary people again and i think i i would love it to go to that part because i don't like the way america's going in terms of like oh like this degree like is uh, is performative in a way i'm like i'm you're supposed to listen to me because i did this but i fucked around in college for four years or the the kids that are like genuinely trying to make something better of themselves and have like good values and are grounded like i'd rather re- like look at those people and be like all right like like let's build something on through those types of values at the end of the day yeah i mean um, i think that you think that america america is going in the direction of of overvaluing education or where you went to school? Or I, I, I guess I say it in terms of, um, yeah, the title, right? Like, as you said, like, if you go to Harvard, like, it means something, right? But when we break down, like, who are the kids at Harvard or, like, who are the kids at Cornell, right? It's a lot of kids that um, were, like, bred to go to these places. Like, they went to prep school. Their parents put them on the crew team. They went, like, did all these things to, like, prep them to go there. So then you, you know, and then they get up and they go there and then they go join a frat and then they get a job at BlackRock or whatever, right? And it just perpetuates these things. And I think people, as you said, the new normal or whatever, people are breaking down these systems and being like, hey, like these people that get access to these places are like coming from these things. So it's uneven. So I think yeah. it's breaking that down. Um, yeah, for I mean, them, I, so. obviously I, I work in a creative industry, publishing, media, entertainment. So it's not, the norm you know if i don't work at johns hopkins or something but i can say in the position i'm in with hiring power where you went to school isn't very relevant to me i don't know you know mm. i mean it's just a data point but it's yeah. more about your experience and then also the way you present yourself in the interview and kind of uh, how you vibe so that's just me though and again my industry is unique in that there's a lot of people that have succeeded in entertainment and and these types of fields without a formal training or education or Ivy League, right. what have you. So, yeah, entertainment's right, right. totally and different. And also, and also to be to be fair, Donnie Hill went to NYU. You know what I mean? Uh, to Michael's point. So I don't know. I don't know if he was just partying. Maybe he was. You know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> were you partying a lot? 
You know what I mean? You know. Back in the day in the nineties, out here wilding with your just hair normal. waving. Just normal. I was just normal. I mean, normal. you know. Just normal. Nah, but uh kids, so kids I, are I, young. I kind of do wanna say though. I do want to say, though, like, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I do think there's definitely a certain type of class of people that gets groomed to go into these Ivy League schools. But that's not just now. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at 50 years ago, 100 years ago, uh, even to 100 years ago, like, you know, like all these guys, yeah. they all went to Ivy League schools. You know, they all went to Harvard. They all went to Yale. So I don't think it's a new normal, if anything. Uh, but I do agree that uh, with the proliferation of the web, uh, there's a lot more access to people yeah. to uh equal the playing field a little bit more mm-hmm. a little bit uh, a little bit more maybe you know until somebody else figures out a way to exploit that as well but uh but yeah um so yeah man that's pretty much what's been happening uh mm-hmm. let's kind of go to the comments real quick before we give the floor to our to our guest to our guest mr donnie quack let's go to the comments mm-hmm. real quick what's going on in the comments Winton, is everything good right now? We good? Great. Okay, cool. Let's, <laughs> let's see the comments real quick. If you a nerd, Mr. Jason Kim said, if you a nerd, you're going to be a nerd regardless of if you went to Harvard or not. Now, I mean, word, says uh, says somebody who is very smart and uh, also, also was a back dancer at some point in his life. <laughs> so shout out to Mr. Jason Kim. Uh, mm. Snoopy Love, I actually brought a pair of shoes and lost it a long time ago i wonder if i could get it back i got 90s in high school okay good for you snoopy love no doubt and then we have mr tony k films joining in shout out to tony shan wise you know what i mean all right so mm-hmm. we all in here so with yep. that said now it's time for us to give the floor to our guest the guest of honor mr donnie quack what topic did you want to bring to the table to to conversate with the six ninety nine per pound audience and a six ninety nine per pound co host? Well, we already talked about it a little bit, but it was a recommendation of a documentary that I saw not too long ago. That's mm. uh, very relevant to a lot of our discussions today and the conversation heading into this election season. The movie is called Boy State. It's actually only available on Apple Plus, I believe. Um, I don't have Apple Plus, but I somehow procured a link to it. So if you can uh, do that, if not, maybe get the trial for Apple Plus to watch it. Mm. Uh, just a little, a little context for the film, Jakey, Pocket Watch. This movie premiered at Sundance last year and ended up being the getting the highest deal ever for a documentary uh in Sundance history really wow uh 12 million dollars which was a sale as a as an independent doc god damn and you know what movie iron uh ironically or coincidentally i should say the, the the sales record before that the record it broke was a 10 million dollar sale for knocking down the house which is oh yeah. About, yeah aoc and her cohort so i mean i guess that's a note to filmmakers uh political documentaries <laughs> are selling um, mm, there you go mm, no that's what's so up, 12, shit. it was 12 million uh bought by apple and a24 who you all know who make you know all of the critically acclaimed movies right 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 um, yes yes and so just a, a brief 
you know, I think the easiest way for me to describe Boy State is to first just read this few sentence description that I think is part of maybe on Apple Plus or I don't know where I got it from, but I'll just read mm. it. Boy State is a political coming of age story examining the health of American democracy through an unusual experience, experience, experiment. A, a thousand 17 year old boys from across Texas gather together to build a representative government from the ground up. High-minded ideals collide with low-down dirty tricks as four boys of diverse backgrounds and political views navigate the challenges of organizing political parties, shaping consensus, and campaigning for the highest office at Texas Boys State Governor. Mm. So, mm -hmm. some more kind of off-the-cuff commentary about this. First of all, The Filmmakers is a, a filmmaking duo, Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. Uh, I don't know if you, whoever is watching is a documentary fan. They made a movie called The Overnighters in 2014, yep. which is an yep. excellent film. Uh, so they're known for kind of verite embedded uh, documentary style. For this particular documentary, Boy State, as I mentioned, it's a week-long summer program. It takes place not just in Texas, but in states across the U.S. It's sponsored by the American Legion, which you may or may not know is a nonprofit organization of U.S. war veterans. So for this week in the summer, uh, they recruit in Texas a thousand, state to state it differs, but they recruit a bunch of high school kids, rising seniors, so people who have just finished their junior year, uh, to gather. In Texas, it's at UT Austin uh, to, to put on basically a fake election uh, and mm. to create two political parties, set the platform, elect party chairman, nominate a governor and then have an election. So it's basically a example, a representative of, or a model of what uh, we go through in our American political system. Uh, I should mention too, I guess, some of the notable graduates from boys states across the country, Bill Clinton. You see this in the opening credits actually. Yeah, Dick Rush Trump, Limbaugh. Dick Cheney, Michael Jordan, James Gandolfini, some people that weren't mentioned in the credits, but, um, you know, in short, a lot of esteemed people or not so esteemed people have gone through this program. Uh, also, there is a girl's state as well, but it's a separate program. So anyway, that's kind of the context of what boys state is. So this film basically covers the entire week of these thousand teenage Texan boys gathering. They're randomly split up into two party parties. One's called the Federalists, one's called the Nationalists. And the camera just documents all of these meetings and machinations and backroom dealings as these two political parties uh, create their platforms, nominate their governor, their party chairman, et cetera, all in the buildup to this election. So it's a really interesting glimpse into a how a two-party system works or doesn't work. And I think it's also interesting that uh, it kind of shows you how how dirty dirty of a game politics really is as if you didn't already know but just kind of just seeing it through the lens of these teenagers and sort of the machiavellian strategies that they're already using in an attempt to win favor and win over their constituents uh is really interesting and of course the movie wouldn't be the movie it is if there weren't compelling characters and they focus on four individuals that we can go over uh Ben Feinstein, who is a double amputee from San Antonio, 
uh, a young conservative who uh, eventually becomes the party chairman for the Federalist Party. There's Robert McDougall, who is kind of a, a archetypal jock type of Texan teenager who becomes a candidate for governor for the Nationalist Party. Rene Otero, who is a black kid who's from Chicago originally, who becomes the party chairman for the Nationalist Party. And then the character that's kind of resonated most with audiences, a guy by the name of Steven Garza, who is a child of an undocumented Mexican immigrant, who is probably of the characters, the, of the people we see on screen, the most kind of progressive, left-leaning person, along, I guess, with Rene. He ends up becoming the nominee uh, for the Nationalist Party. I know I'm throwing out a bunch of names, but suffice to say, it's four very interesting teenage boys that they uh, focus on. Uh, I found out after listening to interviews with the filmmakers that they kind of just, and JK, you would know this making a documentary, uh, it's all kind of, uh, you know, you have to have the right characters and they got lucky by casting these three of the four before they even started shooting. So they didn't know that Stephen Garza would go on to be the nominee for the Nationalist Party. They didn't know McDougal would be the character that he is. And that, or that Ben Feinstein would be the party chairman. What I'm guessing is they cast a wide net. There's a thousand boys there. They probably did a bunch of interviews and these guys stood out. They decided to embed with them uh, particularly and it turned out uh, that these guys ended up being some of the main protagonists. Right. Uh, and Rene Otero, the black kid, was the one that they didn't actually pre-cast, uh, but that after his first speech, they decided that he was worthy of following. So I'm talking a lot. Essentially, it's about our political system. It's about teenage boys trying to figure out our political system. And it all boils down to like an election. So there's like a climactic moment. There's a lot of speeches. There's a lot of like backroom dealing and figuring out, you know, how to top, uh, you know, how to create a platform, how, uh, how to win over votes, uh, etc. But it's, it's something that's really interesting to watch in an election season. And I know you guys watched it, so I'm going yeah, it to pass it over to It's, it's like, fa it's a fascinating movie, man. I mean, I was kind of in awe the whole time watching it because like you said, uh, these characters are just the pacing of the story. It, it just almost feels like it was, it was like scripted. It was almost like a fictional film. Like it was like, you know, like these, these were actors, you know what I mean? Cause the characters were so perfect. Like you mentioned, um, this kid, uh, uh, uh Ben, who was a, uh, the party chairman for the Federalist. I mean, this kid was a, uh, you know, he's, 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 uh, he's somewhat disabled, but he, uh, you know, openly says it's like, yo, even though like I have difficulties, like I'm still working hard. So I think everybody else should feel that same way. And you see this kid just being an amazing politician at 17. Like he understands that, okay, I'm probably not going to be the governor. So I'm going to utilize like the power that I have and kind of go behind the scenes. And I'm going to get my like John Kennedy and I'm going to be the one controlling, you know what I mean? Like, and you know, this kid is like being really friendly with the other politicians and he goes off and like creates smear campaigns. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, yo, like everything about this kid was, it was like watching, almost watching like a, a, a professional politician. But these are like 17 year old kids. I mean, same thing with the, um, I, I would say the hero of the movie, uh, Steven Garza uh, of Mexican American descent. Like you see this kid, like really trying to engage the people, you know what I mean? Like, 
you know, uh-huh. like man even kind of looks a little bit like, you know, like he, he has a darker skin tone. He looks different compared to everybody else, uh, majority which are white. Um, and yeah, he just, you know, he says that yeah, I got into politics because of Bernie Sanders, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I just, everything about this movie, man, and the, the way that they're articulating themselves in these speeches, I was like, damn, I, when I was 17, I was definitely not capable of doing that you know so i mean i would say too some important context here to i guess maybe implicit in my description is that this this particular documentary focuses on boy state in texas and as we know texas is a widely conservative state with conservative beliefs which plays into the conflict as these kids are trying to create these platforms and make them palatable to their constituents. And it kind of shows you what politicians have to go through because the majority of the people there are pro-life, pro-Second Amendment. And so they have to, even if it is count, I mean, there's a part where one of the candidates says he's actually pro-choice, yeah, but but he has crafted his platform around, uh, you know, it's these ideological decisions you know, the, the campaigns boil down to these ideolo- ideologies that eventually, you know, you're doing it not necessarily because it's your, as a politician, your own personal belief, but because that is what the people you represent want. And so that conflict is at play, even in this fake election, which I found really compelling as well. Yeah. 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 Every- even like Garza's speech in the beginning when he was like trying to become governor was like, I will represent, he didn't say any, like, this is. The interesting that thing for me was strategic, they were, right? Even they were, yeah, no, no, but they were, they were, they, they would go around, um, and it's this funny in between of they're saying something without saying anything. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I really listen to people. I'm for the people. I'm like, that doesn't fucking mean anything, really, if you really think about it um, on a deeper level. But Garza was just like, whatever, I will represent this like the, I forgot which part, this party to the best of my ability, whatever it is, I will be there and represent you. Like, and obviously this guy like organized a March for our lives. Like he's Bernie, like, and, but like, as Donnie said, is like, we're going to go pro-choice. I'm not, I'm not, and he, he has to like, make sure he says the second amendment thing, like the right way. But also it was interesting. They're like 17 year old kids. So like you see them in like the legislator and they're like trying to pass like dumb laws about, being 17 and like secession and stuff like that. So it was interesting to watch in that, in that sense. But I think in terms of like when I was watching it and like the thing that was sad about it was Ben is like, he's a great politician, but he's like, you know, like whatever it takes to win. He's like, I know the right in his mind. He's like, this is the morally right thing to do. And like, maybe the smear thing wasn't the best thing to do it, but you know, it's like this, and he's basically saying, well, this is the way politics are just done in this country. So I just need to play by the rules, which I think proves that kids watch what adults do. And at the end of the day, it's like we have a choice to engage in certain ways. But when, if your whole life and your identity is politics, then what, like, what are you willing to do for it? Is, is, is that I looked at. But is that kids watching what adults do or adults were once these kids? You know what I mean? And that's just kind mm-hmm. of human impulse is to win by any means necessary uh, oh, in, right. yeah. in, in, in this type of uh, competitive scenario. So it's a it's an interesting, thought-provoking thing. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I, I was mentioning to Michael offline that after I watched the movie, I kind of dug deeper and read about 
uh, reviews and stuff. And I saw that someone had recommended a, a, a documentary, which is actually free on YouTube called Please Vote For Me, which was filmed, I believe, in 2007 in China, in Wuhan, China. And it was basically a another kind of, you know, a little bit lower production value, but uh, it's like a less than an hour long and you can see it now free on YouTube. Uh, it's about a, a third grade election for a class monitor. Mm. <laughs> and it has some of the same elements of any yeah. boy state in that it's a competitive election with dirty tactics at play. In China, which is interesting in and of itself because it's like a, a democratic election. Uh, within know, China. Within China. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a good little. Uh, have you have you guys uh, uh have any of you guys like run for office, like in, in student government in, in or high or school like, or something? Government? Yeah. No, yeah, I did. Oh, I did. Johnny did. Okay. In elementary, maybe. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Treasure. What what was what did you promise the people? Free lunches or something? Or yeah, like it's funny in a vending machine. It's funny that you ask because at a very young age, I just mentioned that Chinese documentary. You know, at a very young age, it's indoctrinated this kind of election, the way elections work. It is about campaigning and campaigning in third or fifth grade might be putting up posters and giving out lollipops. But ultimately, what you're trying to do is sway people to your side by any means necessary, because in order to represent your constituents, if it's a third grade class or the country, you can't do it unless you win. And so you have to do whatever it takes to win. And so that's why campaigning and actually the act of governing sometimes feels like there's a big schism there because you do what it takes to win. And then once you get into office, you can actually, you know, hmm. yeah, you know. yeah. So exactly. I was actually, uh, I was actually uh, kind of like helping my younger brother trying to get elected. He lost by like two votes, but uh, I was doing all types of like smear campaigns against the, uh, and i was like i actually wrote his speech uh and um yeah so jake was a campaign chairman yeah already was, chairman. but i wasn't the official i wasn't the official chairman i was kind of like the uh the dark hand behind the scenes you know what i mean coming up with all the ideas and like the posters and all of that so yeah it was a fun process but uh i i to to to, to kwak young's point though i think it's what is it like aristotle said uh to be human is to be political you know what i mean so it's almost like this this always existed you know what i mean it's not like right. the state of america now is not these kids just you know echoing what their parents are doing um it's almost kind of like we are just political creatures to begin with uh the basis of it is popularity like oh we want these people to like us and in order to do that you got to either mold yourself to be likable or you're going to need to do things to make other people like you. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I just think, um, I just think that, but this doc specifically and this program boy state, I didn't even know these type of things existed. Uh, it kind of made me think, man, like, yo, like I wish there is going to be a time when, um, a charismatic young Asian American boy in boy state could rock the scene. <laughs> You know what I mean? And just like convey these. Jenkins' son. My, my, my <laughs> grandson, maybe. You know? There's uh, probably Asian people spoiled. doing American Legion somewhere. You know? It's a national thing. Spoil the ending of the movie, yeah, right? Yeah. 
I guess we did. I guess we did. I guess we did. But no, but I want to. What I also thought was interesting was that in, in when Donnie said the difference between governing and running, because I feel like for the politician, there's all these platform points or like what they'll do what they want to do and that's i feel like irrelevant in terms of the campaign like for the people that like like to go on the website and read yes but as jakey says a popularity contest and at the end of the day it's like watching those those chairmen duke it out in like behind the scenes and the candidates are kind of just there it's yeah. like the the real puppet masters in a campaign are the chairman like joe biden just goes out there and says whatever the chairman writes down and then the speechwriter puts on his a teleprompter you know i, I would yeah. say um, it's, it's I, I would say it's a collective effort it's kind of like uh, an artist with a very smart manager you know justin bieber still has to dance and sing but scooter brown is bringing the strategy you know what i'm saying so right but it's, but it's a public effort. perception public perception is like oh like as a politician it's like oh the politician came up with all this which i think mm. a lot of my people might see but it's like no when you actually as you said, like Scooter Brown or whatever is like in the background, like that's like the more interesting part for me to see like all that happening. Well, in those you know, like strategy meetings. Another recommendation then would be to watch the war room and just see James Carville at work. Cause he's probably right. the king of polit- political, one of the kings of modern history of uh, that role of puppet master. Right, um, right, right, right. You know, one more thing though. It's fascinating just, because, go ahead, go ahead, yo. I was just going to say one more thing that uh, just struck me because we've been talking earlier about Biden's campaign and the struggles of him kind of making a cohesive, resonant campaign is, I mean, one thing that's interesting, we talked about how Texas in general and the the kids in Boy State are mostly, you could say, conservative and right-leaning. And yet, you know, the, the nominees for each party in Boy State were what you might characterize as in this exercise, kind of like moderate, moderate centrist, centrist. type yeah. Yeah. that were trying to not alienate the base while also sneaking in some of their progressive values or things that might differ from what the majority thought. And I think that was kind of heartening in a way because at least they're not taking cues from Trump. And that's kind of what Trump, Trump's political style is just kind of like lean heavily into the radical part of his base and just cling on to that without trying to appease at all. Um, And they haven't at least learned that from him. They were trying to be these like more kind of reasonable uh, politicians that listen to the people. Right. 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 At the end of the day, the people are the one, like the, 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 the need to get the people's vote vote is the thing that keeps them in the center Mm. of, You know, like I was, I took a political philosophy class when I was in Ireland and the guy was talking about the difference between party systems in terms of you have like a two party system or like eight party system or whatever. It's like thinking about bus stops on, on a, on a, just a bus route. It's like, if you have eight different groups, it's like, you'll, you'll naturally just find the, find the eight points that allow you to drop off the people closest right like distance wise but if you only have two parties it's like what you do is like okay like half the kids have to go to the left half the kids have to go to the right so you pick the closest stops are like kind of like in the middle just naturally right. and that's how it just naturally happens in a two-party system i like that. a little left and you get a little right and that's i like that happens. analogy and that's also why the the two-party system seems like the wrong system <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But I like that metaphor. That's good. I'm gonna use yeah. that. I'm gonna steal that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think we kind of um, hopefully we didn't um gave away the whole film. Highly recommend it. Is uh, yeah, we didn't say what happens, who wins, or anything. Yeah, yeah. It's it was one of the best films I've seen this year. I would say. Uh, it's a lot I mean, of testosterone, though. It doesn't really say much because I haven't really seen much movies in the theater this year because of uh, COVID. But uh, yo, it was uh, it was an amazing film. Highly recommend it. I think right now, if you watch it on Apple, you could get one week free, uh, and then after a week, like they charge you five ninety nine per month, not six ninety nine though. Uh, so yeah, make sure that you drop that six ninety nine for that Amazon Prime situation, so we could get that moolah. But uh, let's go to the uh, commenters real quick. Oh man, Mr. Jason Kim has been really active in the comments. Yeah, he just Jason. Asks, whoever take off the t shirt, I'll donate that to wherever you want. Who wants to take it off? So I'm definitely not taking my t shirt off. Uh, you know, I gotta represent for my boy Padotagi. My boy wavy michael if you want to take your t-shirt off feel free uh i know I'm you nice. like to do that when you're jogging in prospect park so uh <laughs> yeah so uh you know we could do that and uh okay so not jason, right now okay, so so jason as i guess it goes to show how formulaic our system of government is so what suggestions do you have to make it a better one mm, that's a very good question what you know if you guys have, do you guys ever thought about like, man, if, um, if the system was this way, it would be so much better. Whereas it, if it's this way, it would be so much better. You ever, you guys ever thought about that? I mean, I have thought about whether a democratic system that we have, uh, ultimately nets out as better than what is like a monarchy. And it's just like bestowing your children to be the next leader. Uh, I mean, like whether that, the, you know, I mean, I guess it's kind of like discussing arranged marriage versus love marriage and that sort of thing. And it's like ultimately mm -hmm. chance or inheritance, I guess. It, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, I won't quote Aristotle here, but ultimately it's a system. Government is run by people and people are flawed. So there is no perfect way. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe we need, uh, we, we definitely need more women in office though. That yeah. is true. I think we need more women. We need more, uh, diverse people just in general. We just need more voices. Uh, but I, I, I you know, I think it was, uh, this rapper Merce, like, I think he, it was like one of those like content where in, they were just asking like celebs and artists, like, uh, if you were the president, what would you implement? And then he said, uh, I will make it a requirement for every kid in this country to go to another country, to visit another country, to study abroad for a year, uh, because automatically that will give you a different perspective on uh, on other people. And then once you have, once you could like physically touch another country, and then you relate and you see other people how similar they are. Uh, or how different they are once you kind of get that understanding at a young age you build empathy and i think empathy is really what separates people from being also you know you could be machiavellian but you could also have be empathetic you know what i mean at the same time because like you like michael said you know it's really the answer is not always in black or white is usually in the gray so you know if there's one thing that i think you know hopefully that they could implement is an education system people have more engagement with other people that are different from them 
so they could build that empathy at a young age. You know what I mean? So yeah. I would I would add that on. Now, Jason Donald also Trump said, "Was it what you say?" I mean, Donald yeah. Trump I mean, if you Queens, yeah. But Donald Trump from Jamaica State, man, yeah, he was just like yeah, living in his little castle and yeah, shit. You know, what I'm saying? he ain't from Jamaica, Jamaica. Um, but Jason Kim also said, "Shut up, Socrates philosophies." Okay, <laughs> right? uh, yeah, we got some fans over here. You know what I'm saying? And possibly, possibly they spotted me. Um, but yeah, okay. Mr. Paul Bay is in the building. Mr. Quacamole is also in the building. The dark Whoa, chair. Another quack. What another up? Another quack is in the building, man. Mr. Quacamole. We got Quacka Flocka and we got Quacamole, man. Um, whole lot of quacks. Um, yeah, I think. I think, I think the podcast was. I'm going to make a song called. I'm going to do a cover on WAP, but it's going to be Quack. Quack. Was what's that was the acronym for? Come on, think quick. Think quick. Guacamole could come with come up with one killing while answering. Killing, killing while absorbing. <laughs> killing while <laughs> Kit, Kit Kat. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Kill, killing while ass kicking. Not bad. Okay. I like it. Well, ass kicking. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, yeah, yo. So uh, is now is the shout out to the week for small business yeah, yeah. artist podcast that you like. So, Michael, do you want to kick it off? Uh, yeah, I can kick it off. So this week, I want to shout out this man named Donnie Chin. Um, rest his soul, RIP. Donnie? Yeah. Um, I saw an article about him from NBC Asian America this week, but it reminded me of this man. He ran this thing called the International uh, International District Emergency Center, which I'm talking about Seattle Chinatown right now. Um, he founded that in 1968, but he was basically a viable alternative to like a traditional policing in Chinatown. So he would go to things that happen within Chinatown and like provide medical care or like deescalate stuff. And I met him actually by accident because right by, so if anyone knows that area, there's the Wing Luke Museum, which is a pan-Asian Pacific museum in Chinatown. You should all check out. They have great exhibits, but there's an alley right next to it. And then there's this little shop at the end. I walked in with a couple people and this man was just sitting there hanging out. Turned out to be Donnie Chin, uh, like community legend hanging out, just like told us a little bit of Chinatown. Um, He unfortunately passed away after he was shot report uh, responding to a shootout between gangs um no one knows who did it but he definitely um really put chinatown on his back back then and like really provided some help and his legacy continues to live on as other nonprofits in the area try to pick up the work that he did so yeah he's a good person to study if you you know, want to learn about like maybe like what it looks like to do like community policing or community um, support in that way. Uh, so shout out to him. Uh, mm, it down. Up, man. So shout out to uh, Mr. Donnie Chen. Um, I'm seeing this photo of this gentleman. My man got the vest. You know what I mean? He got the walkie talkie. He got the whole mm-hmm. nine, man. You know, definitely look right. like a, a community patrolman out here. Uh, yeah. Oh, so I mean, before I give the floor to Mr. Kwok for his shout out is Jay Key's usual shout out. Uh, which always involves a snack. This week, I like to shout out rice cakes. 
from Brad's original rice cakes. You know what I mean? This really? Brad, you're really on six ninety nine. You're really on six ninety nine talking about Brad's cake Brad's rice, rice cakes. <laughs> Brad's, or, Brad's or organic <laughs> rice cakes, man. I mean, you know, I, I like to say this. Yo, listen, 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 listen. Let me, let me, let me break it down about what Brad is. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I don't know who right, Brad right. is personally, but this is an organic food company. You know what I mean? You're probably gonna find their products uh, uh, in you know any 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 section of Brooklyn that is somewhat gentrified. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and their products are not bad, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, obviously, initially, I come from the the land of the Koreans, where bongtugi, which is essentially the same thing as rice cakes, where you know puffed rice, uh, yeah, like I, you know, where that where that come from. So I was a little skeptical about this shit, and um, but if you know, if I can't make my uh, run to H Mart, yo, this is not that bad, you know what I'm saying? I was able to pick this shit up from the bodega, uh, you know this. It's, it's essentially like high, pre- high pressure on the grain, then boom, bang, bang, bing. You know, you get this joint, uh, this crispy, puffed creation that has no cholesterol, no sugar, gluten-free, nut-free, dairy-free. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a great diet snack. I highly Rescue. recommend it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Brad's we're out, we out here we out here we out here trying to support asian poc businesses and this man pulls out i don't even know the background of these people right but when you could have done a korean yeah, I mean, rice cake you know a shout out I mean, brad man, rice cakes it's brad yeah, wong. i mean my man is it small <laughs> is it brad wong it better be brad wong or something it's a, it's a small <laughs> business in upstate new york you know what i'm saying okay all right all right so, all right shout let him <laughs> we just shamed him so badly for saying Brad's rice cakes that he went from like this really good <laughs> endorsement to like these shits are not so bad. <laughs> hey, I'm just I'm just asking questions that need to be asked. Shout out to Brad. I, I heard Brad is coming out with ramen next, so make sure you support mm. him. Do some research. <laughs> is it Brad? Oh, Brad. Oh, went and zooming in on Brad. There's a baby picture of Brad. Is, is Brad curly hair? Is Brad cockatoo? Yeah, he's he looks like it. Uh, shout out I mean, to Brad. Know, man. Brad, shout Brad, out to Brad, Brad for making organic stuff, though. All right, yeah, I can I can support that. But... <laughs> Brad's rice cake sounds so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least yeah. Paul Bay says at least it's local. Uh, yeah, so, it's local. You know, Brad. They... <laughs> Brad. <laughs> yeah cool all right, yeah, all right. shout out to otugi you know what i'm saying you know you we got the layout right here so of, course, of course of course uh, brad chum get him <laughs> <laughs> um all right my turn yeah what you got okay i want to shout out another podcast uh of course listen to 699 per pound i just discovered this podcast not so long ago it's by a f- mutual friend of ours jk j caspian kang Mm. Along with E. Tammy Kim and Andy Liu, it's called Time to Say Goodbye is the name of the podcast. Mm. They actually talk about a lot of the stuff we talked about today, just a little bit more eloquently. No shouts at you guys, but on a kind of elevated level, because Jay Caspian King is such a tremendous writer and uh, thinker. So, uh, and in fact, also pertinent to what we talked about today is Jay Caspian Kang recently wrote an essay for the New York Review of Books. The essay is entitled Ball Don't Lie. Look it up. Ball Don't Lie, Jay Caspian Kang. It's essentially about, well, it's a book review of 
Scoop Jackson, uh, formerly of Slam Magazine, who wrote a book about uh, basketball uh, and sort of how we uh, how we consume basketball, I guess. And Jay wrote a review of it. But in that review, he talked about the boycott, the strike. He talked oh, nice. about sort of the white fetishization of the NBA, how it has an analog with how whites, white people used to fetishize or wax poetic about boxing. A, a lot of thought-provoking mm. things. I find mm. in general that when Jay opens his mouth or writes something, it tends to be thought-provoking. So uh, yeah. I just started listening to his podcast and it's edifying, entertaining and educational and I would recommend it because- Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Listening. Yeah. yeah, so Jay actually uh, didn't, He's actually threw a subliminal at me one time. You know what I mean? He was talking about uh, a couple of TikTok <laughs> chefs that he felt like uh, adopted. Uh, was, that sub- was that subliminal? I wouldn't say a it was, subliminal. It was a direct attack. <laughs> it was, he didn't mention my name, you know what I'm saying? But it was just like, yo, this guy, and he obviously mm. knew who, I, who, who, who I be. So, uh, yeah, so shout out to Jay, though, man. You know, I have, I have, I have his book, you know what I'm saying? The novel that he wrote about this dude... Uh, trying to find love in San Francisco and shit. So uh, shout yeah. out to him. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, I think I, I would say, you know, that that podcast is like $6.99 using Brad's organic materials, man. It's a, it's a little bit uh, <laughs> less cholesterol. It definitely has less cholesterol. Uh, Yo, is, this a paid sponsorship? is this a paid sponsorship, bro? Just be, be up front uh, with it. Not at all. Not at all. Not yet. Not yet. But uh, if Brad... everything yeah. Everything's for a reason. Holla, you know what I'm saying? You know, life is all yeah. about, you know, making opportunities. Hey, I would, I would recommend people listen to that episode that Jake keeps talking about, though. It's interesting. It's about sort of. It's an interesting, yeah. It's an interesting episode, man. I mean, um, it's, it's about, about TikTok, TikTok. You know, it's about black sense or what people commonly refer to as black sense, and specifically how people utilize them or deploy them consciously or unconsciously on social media in particular through the entry point of Asian American chefs, which mm, I thought was right. a really interesting conversation. Mm. And, and, uh, and JK, obviously they play a clip of one of JK's TikToks in there so I could see how it could- Direct attack. As an attack. It wasn't an attack though, it was more- It was a- hear a lot of talk about this subject. They're not the first yeah, to yeah, approach yeah. it. The way they broached it or delved into it was very interesting to me and thought provoking. So- uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. I'm a hater. I, I usually, yeah, it's observation. Yeah, yeah. It's I really do. You know, one of those I charges. We're kind of tend to be, or at least I tend to be harshest to my own kind. Uh, if you say it like that, in in other words, like when I see Asian writers or Asian theorists or people on Twitter that are Asian, I'm, I'm more harsh than I would be against people of other races, just because of that proximity, I guess. Uh, but Jay is somebody that I feel is almost, I mean, he's a troll a little bit on Twitter, but I think he's kind of unassailable to me in my mind as somebody who is um, a deep thinker. So I recommend his work. No, I listen thinker. to the podcast. It's it's good. I think, I mean, the, all three of them being writers, I think they definitely can speak more eloquently than I can or Jakey can or maybe Tony too. But <laughs> definitely. Um, no, they got some interesting points. Uh, I really like their their COVID one was super interesting too about their the spread of how like international rich people travel and how that spreads COVID and all that. I was like, oh, I didn't really think about this. So, and yeah. then like, they've had talks about affirmative action. 
mm. all the kinds of like hot button topics that Asian Americans tend to talk about or think about privately or in group texts or whatever. It's kind of an intellectual deep right. dive into those issues. Yeah. Uh, and, and I find it very interesting. So I know Definitely. nobody needs another podcast to listen to, but time to say goodbye is what it's called. And I recommend it's worth it. your time. It's worth goodbye. Your time. Time. Yeah, time mm-hmm. to say goodbye is actually a good, you know, speaking of that, like topics that Asian Americans don't like to talk about. Uh, yeah, man, I think I think I think there needs to be more podcasts about, you know, podcasts that pushes those type of uh, uh, pushes the button, speak about topics that we are a little bit more cognizant or a little shy or a little scared, you know, mm. you know, <laughs> shout out to y'all out there, you know, what I mean, supporting Joe Biden and shit. I'll I'll say this openly, you know. (laughs) Nah, but uh, yeah, man, you know, vote blue, man, if you want to. (laughs) All right. right, uh, With that said, though, um, you know, thank you guys again for another episode of $6.99 per pound. Uh, I would like to uh, shout out Quacamole, you know, blue. Yeah, the only blue we rock with is Cafe Blue. Uh, (laughs) All day. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, Trey, who's always here, who's holding it down. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Um, shout out to Mr. Jason to Kim. Uh, yeah, man, uh, and the whole and the whole and the whole foundation. Oh, Trill Sun was holding it down. Uh, Tony K. Sun was there. Snoopy Love was here. Uh, Shan Wise was here. You know, the whole nine. Mikey Fresh was here. So yeah, shout out to everybody for tuning in to six ninety nine per pound. Thank you. Again, for another week, another episode. Uh, Mr. Kwok, thank you for joining us today. Uh, you are thank welcome you so back at any time, at any moment. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, we hope everybody enjoyed it. Please click the follow to make sure that you get the notification every time we go live. We're going to keep the conversation going on social media. Let us know what you want us to talk about next week. Hit us up on IGFB, Twitter, wherever. That's wherever uh yeah uh michael i know that uh you want to make a quick announcement maybe not so quick i mean if you want to <laughs> a little longer with sad music in the background feel free uh, to- uh, uh yeah is it about um, brad's rice cakes no it's not about brad's rice cakes uh, so i'm gonna yeah my announcement is after next week's show i'm gonna be stepping away from 699 I've been working on it for two years and life has changed in a lot of ways because of COVID and other things. So right now it's best for me to do that. Um, thank you for everyone that's joined us along the journey. Uh, the show has changed a lot over the years, right? But um, thanks for rolling with all the, the changes and um, really appreciate all the engagement on Twitch and doesn't mean the show's over. Jakey's still going to be here. It's just going to change a little bit, but um, you know, um, thanks for tuning in and continue to tune in. I'll be here next week. We'll have the same type of conversations. We'll have another special guest uh, that we'll announce a little later. Um, but appreciate all the love that uh, you all have been giving me and the crew for the last two years. Yeah. Give it up for Michael. My, yeah, I'm my sorry. Co- I didn't my co-host have finally succeeded. Now is mine and mine only. Six ninety nine oh, per no. pound. Uh, nah, man, but uh, Michael, appreciate you really for holding it down for the past two years. Uh, next week is going to be his last episode with us as a co-host uh, mm-hmm. and as a producer. So uh, yeah. it's going to be a lot more work for J. Key. So if anybody's tuning in right now and uh, <laughs> is listening, 
If you want to join the six ninety nine per pound team, make sure you holler at me. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. But uh, yeah, Mike, that's Michael, I really uh, appreciate the work you put into this podcast. I mean, obviously, I'm not haven't been here through the whole time you've been on, but um, you know, just even the work that you put in getting me ready for this and prepping and the rundown and all of that stuff that people don't see, but I saw in the last couple of days is really impressive and professional, and and I know you'll be missed. So and. I appreciate you having, inviting me too. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, thank I, you. I appreciate the words, Donnie. That that means a lot coming from you. I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let's uh, let's let's make sure Michael cries next week. So uh, uh, subscribe <laughs> on Amazon Prime um, if yeah. you want to see Michael cry next week. Uh, <laughs> All right. But uh, with yeah, that yeah, said, yeah. though, appreciate everybody for watching another episode of Six Ninety Nine Per Pound. Yo's just chilling. Mikey Fresh, uh, you know, like he uh, did he did he come back? Oh no no no! This is just Quacamole uh, no. stuff. Hey, if you're out here and you think okay. you could, if if you if you think you got hosting skills, I don't know if there's open tryouts happening, but you know, open trial come correct. I mean, casting couch, casting couch at JP's house. I don't no, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. Conversation. We should just call it Show Me the 699 and do like a reality competition. That sounds pretty awesome, actually. Uh, produce 101 or produce 699. Yeah, you get like one minute to spit a take or, or sponsor a product. Like, like Brad's Ooh, Rice Cake. Not bad, you know what I mean? Brad's Rice Cake, baby. Come on. Uh, but yeah, yo, appreciate y'all all for tuning in. Uh, my pot stickers is also here. You are a great producer. You'll be missed. Yes, Michael will be missed for real. But he's not going anywhere yet. He's going to be in and around New York City. So you might see him uh, jogging with his shirt off in Prospect Park at any Saturday. So, uh, you know, if Let you want to do what you got to do. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, appreciate y'all. Thank you. And um, make sure you subscribe to 699 for Pound Podcast. Peace, 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 peace. Hey, yo, it's 699 for Pound. Podcast.